Thanks for listening to the Toronto Legends podcast. I am your host, Andrew Applebaum. My guest today is Matt Basili. Matt is the founder, owner, and El Presidente of the Toronto-based food empire Fidel Gastro, which has grown from an underground sandwich pop-up to an internationally recognized food brand. Matt hosted the reality television show Rebel Without a Kitchen, which aired both on Netflix and the Cooking Channel. He also hosts original cooking shows on YouTube, including Chefs in Cars Getting Takeout and Date Night with Grandma. For six years, he ran the uber-popular Lisa Marie Restaurant. It's a gastropub brunch spot that was on Queen Street West near Bathurst. Along with his better half, Kyla Zanardi, they are the authors of two best-selling cookbooks, 2014's Street Food Diaries and Brunch Life, which came out in 2018. His business today focuses on food trucks and a growing catering division, What does Matt not do? He is all about the intersection of big ideas and food. He indeed is a Toronto legend. Welcome, Matt. Thank you for joining me. Where are you and how are you? (laughs) First off, what a, what an intro. I'm honored. Uh, I am, uh, I'm very well, uh, keeping busy as usual. And I am currently uh, sitting in my car just outside of Toronto St. Lawrence market. Um, I had back to back to back meetings today. So I figured, you know what? pay for parking i'll sit in the car and i'll uh i'll wait for my last one which is actually inside the market and your bonus of course will be you're probably going to get the best lunch of your week this yeah inside <laughs> well well you know it's i'm i've minimized my bread consumption i put on a, about 15 pounds uh in the last couple months doing a lot of uh youtube recipe testing i did a whole sandwich series down in florida okay um, and i was consuming like three sandwiches a day which i do enjoy i love sandwiches uh, but I had to, I had to like pull back a little bit on the bread just to, uh, you know, not explode through my pants. I've got it, a wedding that I'm going to in June, and I need to fit in my suit. I'm not buying a new suit, so that's my goal. <laughs> that's a good goal to have. It is one of the uh, side effects, let's say, of your profession. It's understandable. Um, what are you working on these days? Well, it's so funny because. Um, hearing your introduction, so much has changed probably since that introduction itself. You know, we've actually, um, I, I've been do, but I've been a small business owner in the food space for uh, 10 and a half years. So it'll be 11 years in October. And I think one thing, whether it's been luck or part of my DNA or part of my strategy is that I've always seen myself as a bit of a bit of a shapeshifter in that um, I've had to grow and evolve with the surroundings around me. Mm-hmm. So in the beginning, that meant bigger, 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 more, more, more. You know, we went from doing you know one pop up a month to one a week to then getting a food truck to then getting a full service restaurant, and growth was very lateral at that point. Right? It was. It was. Uh, increase revenue, increase operations, do more things, get bigger, and and the company will grow. You know, and I think um, it would have been around, I guess, some point in 2019, where we were in our fifth year of the restaurant, or sixth year of the, uh, no, fifth year of the restaurant, um, and we had a couple different quick service operations. I think I had about a team, the most I've ever had employed under my belt at one time is around 40 employees. So I think anywhere between, you know, 20 to 35 was kind of the norm. Um, I was just starting to see how the cost of operating the small business was drastically increasing. There were, Mm -hmm. the numbers were making a little less sense. You know, I think in the beginning, there were certain places where it was manageable and year over year you could increase your prices at a, at a normal rate. And by 2019, that reasonable growth was starting to become unreasonable. Mm -hmm. And it was at that time where I thought, I'm like, okay, I think we need to walk away from the restaurant at some point. 
So uh, in April, between April and June of 2019, that's when like the deal was kind of being finalized. I sold the restaurant, Lisa Marie. Um, and in hindsight was the best decision I ever made because little did I know, uh, you know, less than six months later, you know, a global pandemic was going to just wipe through the industry uh, as a whole. The changes you have seen are unbelievable in the sense of you talk about yourself being a shapeshifter as you grow and evolve. More money, more problems, the types of challenges you face would have changed. I want to come back to those. I want to, at this time, though, go all the way back to where it started. You were born in Toronto. What hospital? Born in Toronto. What hospital, what neighborhood did you grow up in? So I was born in Mount Sinai, represent. I don't know if anyone's ever done that before, represented a hospital, but Mount Sinai <laughs> Hospital. Shout out um, to Mount Sinai. Shout out to Mount Sinai. Uh, born... You know, I grew, yeah, so born in Toronto, raised, like, my first couple years of living, I uh, lived in, like, the Oakwood, Rogers Road area, and then my, my parents, uh, along with my grandparents, we all moved to uh, North York after that, so Avenue Road in Wilson. I spent most of my, uh, you know, my teenage years, my, my youth, uh, growing up at Avenue Road in Wilson. Um, you know, from there, I moved off to the Bathurst in St. Clair, and then over to the Junction. And now I live right down in the Trinity Bellwoods area. You are a true Toronto guy. What, what yeah. junior high, what junior high, what high school? Do you remember? Well, so I, I went through the, uh, oh yeah. So I went through the Catholic school system. Um, so I was at uh, St. Margaret's uh, Catholic school from junior kindergarten to uh, grade six. And then I switched schools to Blessed Sacrament, uh, which was at like Young and Lawrence area. Uh, for seven and eight. And then from there, I went to Cardinal Carter Academy for the Arts uh, for high school. I was the last relic to do OAC. So I did five years of high school, not because it was a victory lap, but because we had to. (laughs) So, uh, and then from there, I went to McMaster University in Hamilton. So I lived in Hamilton for four years uh, and then came back, went to Humber College, did a postgraduate program at Humber, uh, the one, the Lakeshore campus there. And what interesting summer jobs did you have, Matt? I'm thinking about during your McMaster and Humber days, because I believe that's where you got kind of your first taste of food-related jobs. Well, believe it or not, I actually got my first food job at 14. I worked at Bruno's Fine Foods. Um, I got my first, I was always, it was instilled in me to, I don't know why, I always felt obligated to um, have a, a job. Like as soon as I was 14, I got my first job. And mm-hmm. I always worked during high school. So I was balancing, you know, full-time hockey schedule, uh, you know, a part-time work schedule, a full-time school schedule. I had some other extracurricular activities as well. So it was always, it's so funny because I've actually been doing quite a bit of podcasts lately uh, in the last like few weeks, all about different topics. But one thing that came up was, you know, when I was in school, I was rarely motivated by my grades. Like I wasn't Mm -hmm. ever like, you know what, I got to get an A plus. I got to get an A plus. I was actually, I found more value in doing a lot of things Mm -hmm. and here we are uh you know 25 years later my ability to juggle multiple projects simultaneously is a direct result from uh how i manage my time uh, as a a teenager you know i might not have been getting straight a's but i knew that i i I had responsibilities and i think that's a, a huge part about being a small business owner is understanding where your where your energy is best spent what your responsibilities are and how you move forward from there. Um, and, that, and that may be the definition of an entrepreneur. You really have to wear all these hats and juggle all these things. You've proven that through your career that you've taken on the, all these different challenges. I want to understand how, if I understand correctly, when you came out of school, you went to an ad agency, you said, my life is set. I am <laughs> on this corporate <laughs> ladder and you got a bit, of, I guess you call it an unsettling feeling. And I don't know what the, what was the big change? Well, it's funny you say that because I, so I would have been, I was 23 when I graduated Humber College and then Humber, and I was, I was at Humber for specifically an advertising program in, uh, as a copywriter. So working in their creative departments, my dad worked in advertising his whole life. So I'd been around ad agencies my whole life. And I always loved the environments. You know, I always thought they were super fun places to work. Like you talk about the corporate ladder, working at an ad agency, 
didn't really have that corporate ladder feel because you could wear running shoes and mm-hmm. you know there were ping pong tables so there were things there that really made it feel a lot less corporate in its in its culture so here i am 23 uh i'm about to graduate you know uh, my, this advertising program at humber college and there's a there's a company that's a huge ad agency or they have a huge international presence uh, they're hosting a uh, an intern search, basically. So you, I showed up for this intern search. I think it started with around 400 people. I get an email saying, you've made it on to the next round. I'm like, cool. Uh, mm-hmm. Let's do it again. And, you, you know, we had a little bit more of an intense interview process the second round. I get another email saying, guess what? You've made it on to the next round. I'm like, oh, I might actually... Like I did not see this coming, but now I'm in the the the, the final ten. Like that's kind of cool. Uh, get another email saying you've made it onto the next round. Now we're down to like the last four people. And then so when I, when I I actually ended up getting the internship, um, I thought that was like such a crazy accomplishment. Um, you were on your so way. I, I, I was on my way at 23, 24. I guess I was 24 at this time. You know, I was on my way. And after the internship was done. Uh, the agency hired me and I was there for a year and I was like super lucky uh, to learn from, from all these people in, in a different environment. You know, prior to that, my only real work environments were butcher shops, right? So I've been working in butcher shops for nine years, which is very different. It was the first time I was surrounded around people that were really collaborative, mm-hmm. um, you know, h- highly educated uh, in, in an institutional sense. So it was, it was a really different environment. I learned so much there and I loved it. Um, but this now we're, we're, we're in 2008 now and the recession hit and along with, you know, 35% of the agency, uh, or whatever that number was, you know, I, I was laid off and at 24, I was like, okay, like whatever, <laughs> no mm-hmm. big deal. Like, uh, I'll just, uh, keep looking for work. And in the meantime, you know, I'll, uh, I'll find another job part-time. So it was at that time that uh, Mark McEwen, who's a very celebrated uh, celebrity chef, uh, Canadian celebrity chef, was opening up a fine food uh, kind of grocery store at the shops at Don Mills here in Toronto. Mm-hmm. And I was like, you know what? This, this is great for me because I'm experienced. I can help them. It, it won't take a lot of my brain capacity. So that way I can still keep interviewing my portfolio around and still taking interviews and any sort of uh, side jobs here and there. And I got a job there and, you know, I, I really did enjoy my time uh, working at McEwen's, especially working, uh, uh, I, I didn't work under Mark, but I, I saw his presence and and in the store. And it was the first time that I'd worked in an environment, a food environment that very much relied on a, on a brand as well. Mm-hmm. And I was very intrigued by that. So what I started doing was while I was working there in their butcher shop, I started like developing a bunch of different ad ideas that I would have presented to any uh, internal client had I been working at an agency. And I think the, the general consensus was these ideas are incredible. We're not ready for them yet. And, mm. and I was like, you know what? That's totally fair. Here I am at this point. Now we're talking like 2009, into 2010 and you know having non-traditional marketing ideas was still very new for people right like now it's if you show up to a pitch idea with a print ad they'll be like what's wrong with you right but at that time still and we're not even talking that long ago that time still having a having a non-traditional approach specifically in such a traditional industry like the food was quite uh quite unique so they weren't ready for it uh, and I was totally cool with that, but I, I learned what I could in that environment. Uh, and then I ended up getting a job on the marketing side, uh, working direct for clients in a, in a company that, how do I say this? Our, our personality, our, our personalities weren't aligned okay. and there's nothing wrong with the company. Uh, and there's nothing wrong with the people, but I felt like I had to put on a, a role to go to work every day. And then when I came home, I was a different person. So I put on like, a, it just wasn't the right fit. And that felt more like that corporate ladder kind of scenario. And I remember, I remember the very moment 
I'm sitting in an ele- I'm standing in an elevator. Oh, I wasn't sitting in the elevator. That'd be weird. I'm standing in the elevator going up to my office. And I'm, I'm standing there and I'm looking around and every guy in the elevator, there must've been five or six of us. Everyone's wearing the exact same colored blue shirt, mm. exact same gray pants, the exact same shoes. And I was just like, what am I doing? Like, mm. this is not who I am. So it was at that point that I said, I need to, I need to figure out what my next step is. And I always wanted to be a, an, uh, you know, an entrepreneur. I was always very idea uh, driven. So driven by having creative ideas, I was like, great. If I want to be an entrepreneur, what does that look like? Mm-hmm. The only thing I really knew was food. So I was like, well, I guess I'm an entrepreneur in the food business. Um, what does that mean? And I, I'd stumbled upon developing uh, a sandwich uh, shop concept. Like that was where I thought where my, my skill set, both as, a, as someone who was not a professional chef, but my skill set with food, uh, as well as my skill set in, in branding and marketing and, and advertising, where those two worlds could really come together. I had come up with an idea for a sandwich shop and I was actually, you know, I was chatting with my old boss from the ad agency. He and I remained and and to this day are still very good friends. Mm -hmm. Um, We were, we were throwing ideas around and he's like, well, you know, run with this area, run with that area. So here you go. And I I sent him a name and I'm like, what do you think of the name Fidel Gastros? He's like, you nailed it. That's it. Fidel Gastros. That is the name of your sandwich shop. And because the opportunities there were, were endless as far as like just how, how you know, at the, in the moment, how clever it was. I, mm-hmm. I spent a year developing a business plan. Mm-hmm. I did everything that you're supposed to do. I put together the numbers, the branding, packaging, the, uh, the look, the feel. I even had some real estate options already kind of, you know, and understanding the metrics of my audience and my, my menu itself. Like I, I really fleshed out um, the full scope of what this concept was going to look like. I made a, you know, a meeting with the bank. I was ready to pitch them on my small business idea in order to obtain financing for it. And I was rejected immediately. Uh, I think I, I lasted about 45 seconds in there. (laughs) They were like, let's, they were like, we don't even care about the idea. You have no assets. You have no money saved up you have no ex- real experience in running your own uh, you know, food business. Sorry, buddy, it's a pass. So at that point I was, um, I was like, okay, well back to work on Monday. <laughs> I mean, like it, it was, uh, it was a very short lived moment. And uh, you know, a couple of weeks after that, I was at a party and I, you know, there was a, a bar there. There was a DJ there. Um, the guys that were kind of running the party, they were in the music industry. So it was a very cool happening party. And they were about to order pizza. And then one of the guys looks at me, he's like, yo, Matt, like, what if we give you the money and you will we'll pay you. And if you want, you can cook us some food. I was like, I will totally do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's, you know, I'm, I'm down. And so it was an open concept kitchen. I'm running around making the food. Three people are watching, five people are watching, 10 people are watching. And next thing you know, making the food was like an extension of the party. Um, And from there, I was like, maybe that's the business model. It's not based on having a brick and mortar. It's based on being more experiential. Um, And I'm going to, I'm going to run with that. I was able to, to finance that on my own. I had, I had the money set aside for it and uh, away, away we went. And frankly, it's not, the idea that is the most important, we've all kind of learned, it's the person, it's the entrepreneur, it's his passion, it's his ideas. And so at this point, your entrepreneurial flame had obviously been ignited. Fidel Gastro, the brand, is born. Within the Toronto underground food scene, you are exploding. Your signature Cuban-style sandwich was the Extremo sandwich. And it was that the first product, so to speak, you had put out? Yeah, I, I had four products. And actually, just to piggyback off what you just said, the other thing that really matters too is timing. Timing is everything. Mm-hmm. Because I was starting this off, uh, like I was starting my company at the same time that Toronto was really seeing a resurgence in like chef-driven, 
in interesting food ideas. We mm-hmm. saw kind of a departure of fine dining after the recession in 2008. And we started seeing places like, I, I use the example, like the Black Hoof, which was like stripped down, bare bones, serving, you know, bourbon and bone marrow. And you just didn't see stuff like that happening up mm-hmm. until like around 2010, 2011. So at the same time that I was starting my company, there was actually an event happening on a monthly basis called the Toronto underground market. And what it was for was, and you can imagine me reading this bio being like, that's me. It's like for the at home startup food entrepreneur looking to get an opportunity to really showcase what, what their brand is. That was really a perfect fit. Right. So um, I, you had to apply for it and I actually didn't get in my first time around like the first time I I applied for it I I didn't get selected uh, to be a part of it so I was like all right well I'm not gonna let this stop me now that I didn't get it Um, Mm -hmm. so I actually started to just put the material together to start my own like one-off event Um, and I did just that in fact I did it I was talking about my the old boss that I had at the ad agency he had a little space at Queen and Tecumseh and I ended up just using his space to like sell sandwiches out of illegally for a night. So, um, and we sold four, four different kinds of sandwiches. I had my Cuban sandwich. I had a, uh, a variation of a, of a, of a steak, like cheesesteak. I had a spaghetti and meatball sandwich and I had a macaroni and cheese sandwich. And those were the four sandwiches I was selling. They were all pressed, uh, like flat top pressed, like a Cuban sandwich. From there, you know, we, we ended up getting into the underground market scene. Uh, and then I started doing a lot more, you know, market type events and then doing a lot more collaborative events. Like Steam Whistle Brewery was actually a, a huge jump for me because I remember, you know, they let me do these like sandwich pop-ups at the brewery every time there was a Jays game. And that mm. was an opportunity to have like a weekly gig. And that was huge for me. So there was all these little moments in time that accumulated experience, that accumulated my ability to reach a community of people. Again, the timing was right. Um, I was super engaged with what I was doing. People really could, you know, to your point, like I I think people were really buying into the energy um, because I was just so excited to be, to be selling sandwiches. And uh, that was really, you know, the first six months of my, my entrepreneurial journey was like, you know, it was a grind. It was, there was a lot. I mean, there was, it's always been a grind. It's been 10 years of grinding, mm-hmm. but those six months were intense because I didn't realize how many hours I needed to dedicate to actually building this company from, from a, you know, from a startup, from its grassroots kind of position. So um, the irony is a lot of during COVID just to fast forward now, a lot of during COVID felt very eerily similar uh, to those first six months um, as far as, you know, the energy it took to facilitate those, those moments. I think looking back, you're probably better off not knowing what you didn't know. If you had known all this at the beginning, it would have been a real downer and tough to, to move forward, but your enthusiasm. You have to, to learn by doing that. it. A thousand percent. I think it's a, it's a blessing that that saying, you know, you don't know what you don't know. There was a lot I I didn't know. There was a lot I didn't know. And I'm actually better for it because when you know things, you know, you're less likely to do them. You know, if you know, and people would tell me the, you know, statistics all the time, like one in five, this will go bankrupt and this and that. And I was like, yeah, but I'll be fine. And, you know, so I just like powered through a lot of the times. Now that I'm in my, you know, my late thirties, I take a far more, you know, calculated approach to all my projects because you have to, that's how, that's, that's how you, you know, one of the blessings of that startup entrepreneur is that, that boundless uh, energy and your lack of fear, Um, but you need to evolve and you need to grow over time. Uh, Otherwise you're constantly operating like that day one version of yourself Mm -hmm. and let's be honest that day one version of yourself might be fearless but they're rarely efficient (laughs) you know so 
it's uh, it, it requires that growth as a, as a, as a person. Matt, how many of these four original sandwiches still exist today in your repertoire? The, the only one that I still do is the, uh, the Cuban and it's changed so many times because, you know, over, you know, to, I just finished saying like, you know, over time you get better. Well, let me tell you something. The, the irony is the food that I was cooking 10 years ago was nowhere near the quality of what I was cooking today mm-hmm. because I've since those humble beginnings of just selling sandwiches on tables, I've now owned a restaurant. I've done, I've cooked all over the world. I've, you know, I've run 300 person catering events. I've, I've done, I've literally done it all uh, in the food service space in my 10 year career. I've cooked everywhere and almost everything. Um, and I really have nurtured that skill. It wasn't something I had to go to school for. It was something that I knew that I always, you know, they talk about the 10,000 hours. Mm-hmm. I was just doing that on repeat. Like, how do I keep 10,000 more and 10,000 more? And how do I keep learning? And how do I keep growing? How do I keep evolving? And, and that, was, uh, that was crucial to the growth of our company, that I kept getting better. Branding is obviously a huge piece of your playbook. The brand Fidel Gastro, your food truck is named Priscilla. Your restaurant was Lisa Marie. Your sandwiches are Extremo sandwiches. How did your experience in advertising, you talked a little about it, but how did you go about crafting your brands? And, and would you agree they're central to your whole business strategy? Yeah, I have to agree with you on that because branding was, is really what people get attached to. Um, and that's something that I had learned in my days of advertising. The, the product can be great, but if, if no, you know, I have no doubt that if I just named my brand Matt's Sandwiches, I probably wouldn't be where I am today. You know? hmm. So I, I could have taken the exact same approach and the exact same formula, but called, my, called it literally Matt's Sandwiches. And I, I, don't think, um, I don't think it would have worked. So branding is really what gets people's attention whether it's a, a long-term hit or a short-term hit, um, there is something in creating a brand that people become attached to. Um, it's memorable. It's, it helps you stand out in a crowd, you know, and, I, and, and that's just so important in, in so many facets of, of business. And so why, why not implement it in my own? You know, here I am in, when I was in my early 20s in all these pitch meetings, surrounded by very intelligent, um, you know, advertising professionals that really understood branding. So here I am playing into uh, the brands for other companies. Well, why, why would that stop at my own? You know, why wouldn't I want to um, lean into where my strengths were? Absolutely. Now, the food truck Priscilla, the restaurant Lisa Marie, these are obviously some kind of connection to Elvis. Do you want to talk about that? Yeah, so the Elvis thing was really just an accident. I remember my very first event ever, um, my table that I was selling sandwiches off of looked a little bare. So I went to Honest Ed's, which is no longer <laughs> with, with us. I went to Honest Ed's and I bought a Elvis bust. And that Elvis bust went right on my table. And I only bought it because I was like, oh, this is funny, like whatever. And people fell in love with it. They were taking photos with it. Like that was their... That became the topic of the day, the Elvis bus. So I started bringing it with me to all my events. And then the Elvis motif just kind of followed as we grew. What a quirk. That, uh, right? Because <laughs> that Elvis that bus, like, you see it everywhere now. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say right here, you were the first. Nobody had the Elvis <laughs> bus a few years ago. I, I don't know if I was the first, but I was definitely, uh, I felt I saw its potential. And the irony is I went on, like I was buying bus on bulk for like, you know, eight bucks, a, eight bucks a, a head. And now like you go on Amazon, they're like three, $400 for an Elvis bus, you know, like it's, uh, it's crazy. Bulk so purchases of the Elvis bus, right? They must've thought, I don't know who knows what they thought at the cash register when I'm showing up with like eight Elvis bus, you know, you were a real Elvis so easy- fan. Right. They, and they broke so easily too. Like I was going through, you know, one a month, probably. <laughs> Fan of this show, Vicky A writes in, ask Matt to give us an old school Olay and to please explain how this became his call to action. 
Well, it's so funny. I actually haven't done an OA in years for uh, a lot of reasons. Like, I think we've all been a little bit more culturally sensitive to appropriation and understanding okay. how how people, you know, and that was something I had to be super mindful of over, over time with my brand and how the brand had to mature and evolve. In the beginning, it was literally just an outburst of energy. And that's how mm-hmm. it manifested. Again, there was no... Um, rationale behind it and then it evolved into just me yelling a lot of the time <laughs> like but like yelling in like like very like fun ways so if you were at our restaurant Lisa Marie during brunch you know our staff and I we would always yell out yay brunch you know and if you were at one of our uh, events that we had a we had this big barbecue we did ribs at sometimes okay um I would we'd yell out barbecue like whatever it was and, and even small little gestures like when the, when we stopped doing the olay at the truck um at the very least i sorry i'm watching someone parallel park right now and they are just <laughs> feeling miserably at it and i can't it's hilarious anyways um i remember like when you would just take someone's name and just make make an event out of their name even yeah um so it's like ah you know if you were uh if if your name was scott you knew i was going to name you i was going to yell great scott where's great scott you know stuff like that i think it was just part of the shtick um it felt people like you know especially at the food truck or at any event it made them feel like even for you know if they'd been waiting for half an hour for food or whatever when they got up to the window um it gave them you know 14 seconds of oh this guy is paying attention to me, you know? It, so um, it really made a difference. It actually almost hurt the brand though, because then, because I couldn't, as we grew, I couldn't be at every event all the time. Sure. And people would be like, send me notes being like, Oh, I went to the truck today. Food was great. Energy seemed down, you know? And yeah. that was always actually a hard one for me. Cause like, how do I talk to my team about having my energy? Like that's a very hard request to be like, I need you guys to be energetic. <laughs> The challenge becomes that you are the brand and whether reasonable or not, every customer expects to get their sandwich handed to them by Matt with that energy. And I guess you had to find a way, as you say, to get the energy across your whole team so that customers were just as engaged, whether you were there or not. It was very hard to do that. And I think you had touched on this earlier, um, you know, I was ready to be an entrepreneur. I was not ready to manage people. And there are two very different things. It's one thing to develop a brand. It's one thing to start a company, start a business and run with it because you're doing most of the work on your own. But then as you grow, you have to, you know, trust in people and bring them into the fold. Uh, And I was not a very good boss in the first couple of years. I, I, I did not know how to manage a team. I did not know how to give clear communication I did not know how to manage my emotions properly. Um, I let the the work get to me. Um, I had a very hard time really holding on to good employees, making them feel like they were part of the process. Like I had a lot of learning to do. Um, and luckily, I think, I think I did that because, you know, in the probably by about year three, I really ch- found my my style my groove um and after that like year four onwards or year three onwards probably i was able to hold on to staff for much longer periods of time um really get them to buy into all the aspects of the brand whether it was the truck the restaurant um you know i remember we opened the first we were the first small business food company to open up uh, inside the Scotiabank arena, which was the Air Canada center. Mm -hmm. We had a one year, we had a one year contract there. And like, for me, it was like, it was such an honor, you know, to be there, not even from a sales standpoint, but from just a, like, wow, look how far we've come, you know, Mm -hmm. that, and that required people like good teammates, um, to uphold the brand that even if I wasn't there, people felt like it wasn't a, a, uh, a diluted version of what uh, they were getting, you know, and, and that was really the, the idea behind that. You know, the experts say surround yourself with good people, but it's gotta be a real challenge when frankly, no one does it 
the way you want it done. And you really have to adjust is what you're saying to, to managing these people to give them some latitude and be, I guess, have the faith that your brand will be represented the way you envisioned it. I think it comes down to a lot of things. Being a, a clear communicator is uh, crucial. And making sure that people, I remember actually when, my, when I stopped getting angry at staff for, for making mistakes and started mm-hmm. getting disappointed in staff for making mistakes. I, and disappointment was like, when I, I hired all these, um, not even millennials, because I'm, I'm an elder millennial, but whatever yes. the generation is, younger than millennials. So I, had, I remember being like, you know, in my, my mid thirties or early thirties. And I had all these like 20 somethings working for me. I'm like getting angry at them. Doesn't work. I need to let them know how disappointed I am in their actions. That really hit a different note. Uh, but I was able to kind of build off that really look. I really looked at learning opportunities for people. They're like, okay, this was a mistake. This wasn't good. Um, this is how we're going to kind of approach this going forward. And we need to make sure that, uh, you know, these kinds of mistakes don't happen again because there's a very real, ramification usually financial but then sometimes it's like hey like you know here we are known for our brunch spot and mm-hmm. you know we've had we had two horrible reviews on TripAdvisor today and TripAdvisor brings in a lot of tourists to our brunches so like how did this happen how do we understand that better right mm-hmm. it really getting a better team and a better system uh it really does start at the top and the, the it's foolish of me to think that the system was going to change if I didn't change. Mm-hmm. So I had to make the changes first in order to ensure that the, the brand, the product, all those things, uh, the team in place uh, were the best versions of themselves. And I take a lot of pride in uh, that every year of business, we got better and better and better and better versus declining. Cause sometimes the, that can happen where you start strong and you decline year over year. For us, it was, you know, we started strong, had some immediate learning opportunities right off the bat, regrew that strength, and then kept going above and beyond that. You were enlightened. You were flexible. You then grew into all kinds of different directions. You've had a food truck, a restaurant, a TV show, cookbooks, catering business. I don't know if you can choose a favorite way that you like to connect with your audience about food, but do you have one? I do actually. Some of my favorite things to do, and I still do them today, is um, I'll do like these very intimate, like 10 person uh, dinners where someone's hired me to kind of come to their house. A lot of times we push barbecue because I, you know, I'm the most comfortable cooking over just fire. Um, (laughs) And, and we have, we have these like, you know, long table kind of dining experiences. I really, really enjoy those. It can be for four people, six people, eight people, 10 people is like really the sweet spot. Mm-hmm. Um, you're bringing people together at the table. There's a reason why it's called family style because chances are, you know, this is how you did it as a family. You know, you brought people yeah. to, to a table, probably no more than 10 and everyone got to try a little bit of everything. So those are my favorite things to do still. Can I link that back, Matt? I understand your grandfather was a big influence on you, and perhaps there's that connection to the family style of not only dining, but family style of cooking. Oh, yeah. He was, um, you know, I learned a lot from that man uh, about being an adult, about being, uh, you know, a hardworking young adult and what that meant, and then also just appreciation for food. Uh, You know, he wasn't in the food business, but he made everything from scratch, whether it was from his garden or the homemade bread, or the homemade dried sazich, or the homemade, like, he just, the homemade wine, the homemade sauce, like, everything was made from scratch, and he just taught me to, you know, to really appreciate things that are made from scratch, and that, for me, also meant making a, a, a career from scratch, making a mm. business from scratch, um, you know, it, you appreciate it more when you've, when you've seen it start from day one. Mm-hmm. And I remember years after he died, it was actually the first spring of COVID. Um, he had this amazing garden in his backyard. And after he passed away, it was neglected. It died. And then the backyard, um, like, cause my grandmother still lives there. You know, the, the backyard was pretty vacant. So um, Kyla, my, my girlfriend and I, we had decided to kind of spend some of COVID uh, redeveloping that garden. Mm-hmm. And, 
Let me tell you how much more you appreciate making the salad when you've grown from a seed every single ingredient that goes into that salad. Um, I remember we made we grew this beautiful pak choy. We did a, a dinner one night that was just, you know, grilled pak choy with a little bit of olive oil and garlic and lemon. And never would I have ever thought that was a dinner for me before. But when you do it from scratch, there's an appreciation that you have for it. So the same goes for small business. When you start something from day one, you really believe in it. You, you put all your heart and soul and energy and thought into that thing growing and succeeding. Um, and there's no difference between that and the garden. You reap what you sow. Exactly. Your grandfather would not be particularly proud, however, of what I understand your guilty pleasure to be, which is a sausage egg McMuffin covered <laughs> in Big Mac sauce. Uh, can you validate? <laughs> is that true? And do you know the secret recipe for the Big Mac sauce? So I gotta, that's a two-part question here. I'll break it down first off. I'd like to say I'm the inventor of the sausage egg McMuffin <laughs> with Big Mac sauce. Um, I have, it has long been my, my guilty pleasure, and I have no shame in that. Um, it's not something I get daily, but whenever I'm running around and I'm, I got a little hankering for a breakfast sandwich, it is a very easy thing to grab, and it is so tasty. And it has to be in that combination, though. It has to be sausage egg McMuffin with cheese, and it has to have Big Mac sauce. Um, I do make my own special sauce. I just don't want to get sued. Uh, so I don't know if it's the identical recipe, but um, it is good enough for my palate. <laughs> well, if you remember from coming to America, they had the McDowell's, uh, and he was constantly being concerned uh, about being sued for being too close to McDonald's. So you'll have to brand your sauce with, with something different. What? It's just special. It's just it's, it's special. Just it's special. special. Yeah, <laughs> Matt, what's your favorite Toronto neighborhood for dining out? And I know that's going to be tough because not only have you lived and worked in all these different neighborhoods, but I'll, I'll give you the latitude to pick more than one. Where do you like eating out in terms of? I think if you were to look at it from a, from a neighborhood's perspective, um, there's no better neighborhood than the Dundas West area in the, around Ossington uh, and then up the, you know, down the Ossington strip. So, you know, you take Dundas from like Shaw Street or even, you know, where, where I live. So Dundas and, 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 uh, and Bathurst all the way to Dundas and uh, Dover Court. There's some great restaurants on that strip there. And then down Ossington over to Queen. Again, a great community of restaurants. And I, I really see a community of restaurants as you can not necessarily pick a restaurant, drive to it and go inside, but pick an area of the city and walk and decide like based on where there's availability or what you're what you're you got a hankering for what the best spot is and I, I really think that is the the best spot in the city uh for going to a restaurant um and then second to that would be the junction i love mm -hmm. the junction i love living in the junction it's a little bit of a different energy than the the area i just mentioned you know it it closes a little earlier it doesn't go as late but it is uh got some some quality spots uh in the junction and I, i'm a big fan of that let's talk about the big c word and that is covid the effects of covid and now that we appear to be coming out of it how is this affecting your business and i guess how in the larger sense what changes do you see to the food scene in toronto uh well the changes aren't just in toronto they're they're they are global um, it, you know, I think COVID uh, really did change how people interact with food. It also changed uh, people's priorities. It changed so much and it would be very hard to get into detail and everything, but, you know, right off the bat, we saw such a shift and so many people lost their jobs. So many people lost their businesses because these are businesses that were dependent on having people working together in close quarters and having people experience what you offer again in a close quarter environment. So we saw this kind of pendulum shift to uh, a lot of um, delivery apps and delivery services and curated meal kits. And so people were still trying to get their experience out to consumers in a creative way. I think, you know, we did every different iteration possible of selling food to people. If there was a way to sell, get our food in someone's hands, um, we figured it out. So 
I'm not saying it was easy. I'm saying it, it was necessary. It so forced, we, COVID, we creates, COVID forced creativity. It really did. It forced you to now think nonlinear. And I think, and I can only speak for the food industry. So often the food industry just thinks in linear ways. Like, you know, it's on repeat and on autopilot. Um, so it forced a lot of creative thinking. You know, I think there was so much, uh, a lot of good came out of COVID for a lot of these reasons. You know, I'm not saying good came out of it. I'm saying like, you know, that creative thinking now should not go away as a result of COVID starting to not go away, but at least become more, um, dare I say like mainstream, like, like COVID is just something apparently that we're being told we have to, you know, live with and manage with and manage throughout. So that creativity should continue to uh, permeate how you operate your business. Uh, I think it's going to give people a lot of a lot more uh, security measures and safeguards about what happens if it's all taken away again. Um, it's also really impacted the workforce. You know, I think the, I, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but a, a huge number of hospitality workers left the industry because of constant layoffs and then decided not to return. As a result, um, mm-hmm. we've seen food costs be at their absolute highest of all time, uh, labor costs at their highest, fuel costs at their highest. So there's, it's never cost more to make so little in the food industry and that's mm-hmm. going to impact how people make decisions. So, you know, I'm, uh, you know, I'm, I'm cautious about uh, how we should be re-entering our, our businesses. I want to make sure that I mean, I don't speak for all small business owners. I just think we all need to ensure that you're also looking in the, the rear view mirror a bit and use what we've just experienced the last two years as a, as a template or framework for um, certain, I, cer- how, how certain creative ideas can be seen uh, put into practice uh, post-COVID, in a post-COVID era. It certainly is the new normal. Matt, I want to talk about your TV experience, Rebel Without a Kitchen. You've got shows on YouTube. I wonder what the most interesting place is that someone has recognized you. Oh, that's interesting. Uh, oh, definitely in the Philippines. Um, <laughs> I, was, I was in, that's a, that's a no-brainer, sorry. You're big in the uh, Philippines. You know what? It's so funny. That's a joke, but it's actually, it was true for a time period. Our show got picked up on the Asian Food Channel, and it was doing so well that they flew me out there to do a press tour, a media tour. Wow. So I, I got to see, uh, I got to go to Singapore and uh, the Philippines and Indonesia and Malaysia. And it was like, it was, this is back in 2016. It was one of the, the coolest moments of my career to be able to see all this. And I remember being at a mall in Manila and there was a big poster of me on the wall behind wow. me because I was there, I was there doing like a live meet and greet. So there's a big poster on a wall behind me and I'm grabbing, I'm buying a, a jacket at a store. I think it was just the H and M there. I'm buying like this, like, like leather hooded jacket, very trendy, very on trend uh, yes. at the time. Um, and the girl's like, are, are you the guy for the poster? I was like, wow. Yes. Why? Well, yes, I am. And, Next thing you know, I'm taking photos in the in the store. It was so much fun, um, and I've always asked anyone that's ever ever stopped me. Um, I'm never one to uh, to not engage with somebody who takes the time to say, "Hey, aren't you so and so?" I'll always stop and talk. Someone wants to take a photo, I'll always stop and take a photo. I'm honored, right? Like, sure. I don't know. I never, I never saw, I never saw. Um, that as a as a potential life for myself someone being you know notarized by just selling sandwiches passionately so it was i never thought that would ever amount to any sort of um success or notoriety so i am honored in any instance where someone uh even remotely uh you know recognizes me and Shit, I've I've even there's this guy on my on my phone. His name is Glenn. He calls me once, uh, you know, twice a year, and I don't. I've never. I think I've only met Glenn once, but he, okay. he found my number, watched the show. He calls me, and we, and we talk about life sometimes. And and I, you know, sometimes 
to a fault, I, I put myself out there, but um, I'm okay with that. You know, I think, um, I think you need to be super humble and grateful. And I know full well that I would, I would not be here today if it wasn't for uh, the amazing people that supported me in my life. So my parents, my friends, of course, my girlfriend, mm-hmm. um, but then also the people who supported the other side of it, right? Like, uh, so our, our guests, the people who, who, you know, yourself, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, you know, you were one of my first caterings back in, in the early days. I think it was, uh, I think it was a, like a, you guys all wore lays. I remember that. Like it was like a themed party that I was hired to, to cook food for. Your memory uh, is been, sharp. It might've been a taco party, a taco night. Was Your that memory is sharp. Or? Okay. So there you go. In Richmond Hill. It was over a yeah. decade ago. And yeah, you, you haven't, go. you honestly have not changed one iota in your enthusiasm and your attitude. And what you're talking about is the golden rule. Treat others as you want to be treated. It, you know, that, that is a, one of the biggest compliments I, I could ever receive. So I, thank you so much because uh, I care about what I do. I haven't always done it the best of my abilities, uh, but it's never been for lack of caring or lack of trying. And, um, you know, it, it means a lot to me when, you know, I, I remember people ask me all the time, do you miss Lisa Marie? Like at my restaurant, do I miss mm-hmm. Lisa Marie? No, I don't miss the restaurant. I miss the moments of the restaurant. Mm-hmm. Like I remember um, we used to do this bingo night, uh, beers, bingo, no burgers, bingo and beer. And I, and I hosted a lot of them and then we brought in DJs to host them and it was all burger menu and people got to play bingo. And it was a lot of fun on a Tuesday night. You know, it was a cheap, fun Tuesday night that was, you still had you in bed by 10 PM by the time it was done. Um, I remember one guy comes up to me one year, one week and he's like, he goes, is there any way we can somehow stage the first game of bingo that you can help me uh, propose to my girlfriend. Wow. Oh yeah. Guaranteed. Let's do it. So I'm like, this is what I'm going to do. I'm just going to start calling out bingo numbers and you're just going to dab your card and you're going to yell bingo after four dabs. (laughs) And I'm going to be like, you know, ladies and gentlemen, this guy has broken a record of the fastest bingo in the history of Beersburger bingo. Uh, this is your prize. And I'm like, it's a little light. And the ring was the prize. And he proposed to his girlfriend. People lost their, their, they went nuts, right? Like sure. everyone went nuts in that, right? So fast forward three years later, um, it was their last brunch service at Lisa Marie. Uh, one of the tables, they were like, Matt, someone wants to go say hi to you. And it was the gentleman, it was his wife, and now their baby girl. Um, wow. And it was so, so like it's those moments that you miss, right? You don't miss the bills. You don't miss the stress of things breaking down. You don't miss like none of that stuff, unfortunately. And when you own a restaurant, that stuff tends to dominate your, your day-to-day emotions. Uh, But it was, it was moments like that, um, that I will, I will forever miss. um, And I'm never, it's never lost on me um, in all these years with so many restaurants coming and going that people still message me and tell me how much they miss Lisa Marie. It's, it's, uh, I see that as the most profound compliment ever in the, in the food world. What a great feeling. Well, that's, and that's a good story from that event. Matt, I want to ask you about Toronto things to do. You already talked about where you want to eat. I want from you two of your favorite things to do. And I'd like, one can be well-known because you know the okay. typical is CN Tower All or right. whatever. Yeah. But I also yeah, want yeah. the second one to be more of a hidden gem. What do you like doing or being at in Toronto? Well, uh, I'm a, a huge um, advocate for, uh, for small business. I, I believe that there are so many small business things to do here. Um, and, and with that comes... Uh, breweries like there are some amazing local Toronto breweries my recommendation is you come to the city you map out ahead of time where all the local breweries are and you take a little party bus or an uber from one to the next Mm -hmm. and really enjoy the full scope of all the small breweries that are you know that are in Toronto Um, and there there are there's no shortage of them so that that would be one thing I definitely highly recommend to people Um, definitely go to brunch I think there's a, a lot of great brunch spots in the city. Uh, I was just at uh, Kukla on the weekend. 
which okay. is a, an amazing Greek-inspired brunch. Um, as, as somebody who you know literally wrote the book on brunch, yes, uh, and, you did, and had a very literally wrote the book on brunch <laughs> and had, had a restaurant that um, that became a brunch spot. Um, uh, I love going to other places that are really doing brunch uh, well and in a unique way. And and this spot on Ossington, uh, Kukla did a, a phenomenal job. So definitely go check out brunch. Uh, another thing you got to do, honestly, they're all going to be on lesser known things. So I'm not even, I mean, yeah, go see a Leaf game, you know, go see a Raptors game, (laughs) go see a, go see a TFC game because those are a lot of fun too. Um, you know, depending on the time of year when you come to, um, that, that also changes your answer because, you know, when festivals and this year festivals will be coming back, there were some, there's some amazing festivals like Toronto Jazz Fest, um, the, the CNE. Toronto Beer Fest, like there's no shortage of festivals. So if you're visiting the city on a specific weekend, just Google what's happening in Toronto and uh, allow yourself to be open to the fact that there's always on the weekends, starting early June to probably Labor Day weekend, there's usually something happening every weekend in the city. So be open to those. Um, some of them are great. Some of them not so great. So just uh, you know, enjoy with, uh, with a certain sense of optimism. Um, one of my favorite bars in the city on college street track and field. I've mm-hmm. known them for years. I've done work with them for years. Um, it's just such a great party in there. They have bocce courts in the bar. Um, you can dance, you can sing, you can have a great time. It's such a safe space. And it's, uh, one of my favorite bars to party at in the city. Um, yeah, my, I know I've, I've, I've that's given a excellent. lot of options there. Those are yeah. great options. I've given and, a lot of options here. <laughs> that's good and good advice to go with an open mind and try new things. Matt, 2022, the remainder and beyond, what are you working on? What are your big plans? Wow. So this is probably um, the biggest shift I've ever made in my career path. Whoa. Um, I... Is this, how does this work? Like, when is this going live? When is this? Uh... This very soon, I hope. Okay. So there's, I can't tell you everything I'm working on because okay. of, uh, because of timing and because there's other, um, other partners involved with it sure. as well. But I am currently, um, starting a new company with two, uh, incredible other entrepreneurs and other world, other fields. We've come together and we are, um, we are launching something that will be the biggest project that I've ever been a part of since day one of, of being in the food business. Um, it is not a restaurant. It is not a brewery. It's none of these things. Um, but it is, it is big. It is perfect for where my career needs to be going. And it is, um, how do I say this? it allows me to reach even more people than before without actually having to reach more people. So I'm very excited for um, the future of this. I'm hoping it comes out uh, summer of 2022, but realistically probably more like Christmas 2022. Um, There's a lot of learning because I think that's something that we always need to do as entrepreneurs is find Mm -hmm. projects that allow us to keep learning. So it's a new space for me, but it is still in the food space. So I I come with a, a huge database of, of knowledge and Mm -hmm. past experiences knowing full well that I'm entering into something new. So it takes a certain amount of push and pull uh, learning as well as teaching. Um, So I'm very excited about uh, that kind of aspect of it. Um, And then simultaneously, you know, I've used, uh, I've used the, the last little, you know, 2021 uh, and 2020 were very busy years for me. Um, We were a very busy food truck and catering company. I had established um, some partner partnerships with the stacked market down Toronto. Oh, which you should go check that out too. Mm -hmm. Go go check out the stacked market on front and Bathurst. Um, So I had some great opportunities there to open up a little quick service sandwich spot. Um, I've partnered with, or I had partnered with a, the brewery that was right next door to my, my kitchen uh, in Etobicoke um, and track and field, which was that uh, venue I told you earlier, I was doing mm-hmm. a lot of food for them. Um, when Omicron hit, um, I had to really evaluate or reevaluate how I wanted to put my energy into this industry. Um, so believe it or not, 
I use that as an opportunity to um, shift gears a little bit um, to officially retire the Fidel Gastro's brand. Oh boy. Um, oh yes. And I have now, uh, I have now kind of segued into the more uh, creative consulting side of my, my business okay. um, and giving my, my years of experience of recipe development and branding to other establishments that felt like they needed that service. Because one thing COVID taught me was that I myself was an asset to the business. And Mm -hmm. um, I had to really look at the ways that that asset was best utilized. So I have been simultaneously doing, you know, working with other restaurant concepts to help them achieve their goals. Well, while simultaneously building a brand new brand uh, and a brand new company uh, that I can't fully disclose yet, but that I'm very excited about because um, when it's ready, you know, it's, it's going to be something that, you know, nobody saw coming. However, when they, once it's here, they'll be like, Oh my God, what a, what a cool project. That is exactly what Matt should be doing with his time and energy. That is um, that's something that, that just makes sense. And I, I can't wait to be a part of it. And I can't wait to fully launch it. This is why you are such a great marketer. You've given me a taste. You've left me wanting more. <laughs> I am so excited to hear more as we wrap up, Matt, how can we best follow or reach you? Well, you know, um, a few ways. Uh, the best thing to do is we've revamped our entire website to chef okay. Um, so you can go there for, a lot of uh, my recipes that I develop, I, I put it all up there. Um, Instagram is always going to be the best way to reach me. We're constantly engaging with, with our audience and our community on Instagram. Again, at Chef Matt Basile, B-A-S-I-L-E. Uh, we've embraced TikTok, the world of TikTok. We've uh, embraced it. So we're making okay. those little short, short form videos. Again, all recipe driven. Uh, and then our YouTube channel, Chef Matt Basile as well, um, where you can see a lot of uh, the video versions of our, our recipes. Um, and, you know, I, I want to just take a second here because, you know, I'm honored that you've asked me to be a part of this podcast. I'm always, um, always willing to share my story if it, can, if it can guide or help other people find their own paths uh, through um, entrepreneurialism. Uh, I'm honored, you know, I think, uh, and I'm honored that you've, I don't know if, I, if you're referring to me as a Toronto legend by virtue of just the name of the podcast or not. But, <laughs> you uh, are. But. But I, I got to say, you know, we've seen some true Toronto legends in the last two years. Anyone that works in the healthcare community, uh, in my eyes, is a total legend. Uh, anyone that has to deal with kids in homeschooling while also uh, mm-hmm. trying to have their own careers, that's a total legend. Uh, you know, small business owners as a whole have had to pull out some legendary feats. Um, so there's no shortage of legends uh, in this city. So I'm honored to be uh part of that very unique and large group, but by no means uh, would I like the center stage on that title. I think uh, it's, it needs to be shared with a lot of people. Well, very well said, Matt, it's been a complete pleasure. I greatly appreciate you taking the time. We wish you all the luck. We can't wait to hear about these new ventures and to the audience. Thank you very much for listening to the Toronto legends podcast. And on behalf of Matt Belsilli, I am Andrew Applebaum saying mahalo.
come on a journey like no other, where you will discover many roads that will lead you to a happier, healthier, and more stress-free life. And the beauty is, you don't need any vacation time for this adventure. The journey will come to you. Join Avery Rich on your very own journey into yoga. Along the way, she will demystify yoga poses and guide you into a yoga posture or short sequence, all in less than 15 minutes. You have nothing to lose but stress. The Journey Into Yoga podcast. It's not for people who like yoga. It's for people who don't like yoga. Follow or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at AveryRich.com. I'm Jeff Woods, and I'm shining a light on music and the rock stars who make it. He just was one of those people. He, he stood out. He was a magic guy. He really was a magic guy. All, we all have force. He had the same amount of force as we all have. This was before Led Zeppelin. Robert was full on. I mean, he was Led Zeppelin without the band behind him. He had the hair, the jeans, the whole thing, you know. And he was amazing. The Records and Rockstars podcast heard around the world and yours to hear wherever you get podcasts. All the episodes from JeffWoodsRadio.com.